Hello and welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to bring you a new series on workforce excellence. This show is sponsored by Envolve. Envolve is a cloud-based solution focusing on four key pillars that drive performance in the workplace. That being learning management, internal communications, continuous improvement, and employee recognition. You can learn more at involvegroup.com. So, there's no better person to kick off our first episode than Frank Devine, the creator of the rapid mass engagement process. Hi and welcome, Frank. Hello. Perhaps if we could look at um, some of the results um, of rapid mass engagement first. I have some points here. The the doubling of the workforce during the 2008-10 recession, the greatest uh, transformation in employee attitudes ever measured by investors in people, used by 25% of Shengu Award winners in Europe between 2010 and 17. And I guess the question is, how are these results possible? Yeah, I mean, the, the key thing about those kind of results is that um, you don't do employee engagement just for the sake of it. Yeah. You, you can't just engage people. Yeah. You have to engage them in, in, in some sort of um, objective that employees can really, really buy into and own. Mm-hmm. So, for example, on doubling the workforce during the recession, Obviously, when we started the process, it was before the recession, mm. but the concept of um, creating jobs uh, rather than losing jobs and keeping families together and the effect employment in high-paid jobs have on the communities mm. is something that employees can absolutely buy into. In contrast to the usual kind of corporate stuff that they get and they get used to and they kind of discount. Mm-hmm. This is reaching employees at a, a level, a deeper level, a level, values level, rather than at a kind of um, transactional level around uh, their normal experience where they work and they get paid. This is, this is where they work, but they work to achieve something that means something to them at a deep level. Right. And that's what drives the greater level of employee engagement and discretionary effort that comes for that. Sure. As long as the employees believe that what you're doing is genuine because it sounds initially to employees as too good to be true. Right. So you have very significant skepticism and early on and, and serious negative and limiting assumptions like management will never do this, management will never change, it's not possible for this to happen. The great thing about that one is as we've done it more and more times, the argument it can't be done becomes difficult to sustain. Yeah, yeah. But in the early years, you know, like when I was in corporate life, trying to convince the companies that I was an employee of to do this, I could never point to an example of where it actually had happened. Right. right. So, so, but now, now after what, 20, 24 years working on this, we now have sufficient case studies and examples to that people can go and check themselves and research, etc. Sure. It means that initial thing about, is this possible? Is this level of engagement possible in a large organization? Uh, we can point to these examples. Right. And, that, and that gets us over the first step that, you know, is, are these kind of results possible? Now with results like that, you can't say the process alone produced the results. What you can say is that the process was the stimulant and provided the process, the mechanism, 
the follow through, the leadership training, all of that to enable it to happen. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, ultimately, senior teams running plants have to be able to deliver this. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah. the process itself requires human actors. And then as the um, as the employees engage in it, that creates more and more energy. So there's more and more people pushing the continuous improvement culture uh, forward. So there's a party going on here. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's actually interesting that where we are at the moment, um, in, in terms of uh, the yeah. city hotel in Derry, because that's quite a significant yes. place for you. If we could talk back it, to the beginning, yeah, um, the city hotel in Derry is actually, the, in fact, just down the corridor from here is the venue of the last um, rapid mass engagement that has actually occurred in February 2019 um, at Seagate in Derry. Okay. Um, and that's where we had 60 people elected by the workforce, um, mostly uh, with the senior management team as well, actually coming to an agreed joint employee leadership change plan to, to make the, the changes needed in the organization right. for the company to achieve its higher purpose, the reason it's there, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm feeling very nostalgic being back in the room here and just down the corridor. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So I want to talk about continuous improvement specifically uh, now and, and a question that comes up um, quite regularly is what's in it for the employees? You know, why would employees in a frontline workforce, say on a production line, why would they care or want to participate? Um, and this is, um, this is the key, key thing about this whole approach. Um, when I teach the master's students in the Lean Masters, etc., most of the lecturers will be talking about the Lean methodology, the Lean tools, the, re the Lean uh, processes, etc., etc., all of which are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you call them, whatever you call them Six Sigma Lean, OPEX, whatever, improvement science, this is the same body of scientific knowledge. But what I say to them on day one, I say to them, imagine if every, every employee in your organization was a total expert on every technique and process in the whole continuous improvement world. Mm -hmm but they didn't have the desire to improve their job every day, where would that get us? Mm -hmm. So the key, that's in fact the origins of this approach because that was the, the frustration that I had as a very early adopter of uh, these approaches in the West. Right, right. So, um, and that got, that's where I started experimenting with all of this, all of this approach. And the idea is that what you do is, you, instead of pushing continuous improvement, onto employees from the top. Mm. You create a pull where employees want to improve their, their daily um, workplace. And, and the way you create the pull is, is, is engaging them at that deeper values levels that we talked about before. So it's about their families, their communities, etc. Right. But, but it has to be genuine. Yeah. So a senior team that tries to manipulate this doesn't understand the process because okay. the process is based on really powerful values about uh, integrity and humility and authenticity and respect right. for employees and is that what you mean by pull? Because I have heard you say I mentioned yeah. bottom up approach, you know, yeah. many times. Um, well, the bottom up is 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 it is ascribed 
how the continuous improvement culture is created. Right. So yeah. it's not it's not management. We need to we want to sell you an approach, and we want you to do this as part of your job. It's it's um, uh, the employees themselves themselves saying these are the things that are stopping us achieving great things. These are the things that frustrate us. Mm. Um, and what kind of culture do we need to remove those immediate obstacles, but create a competitive advantage in the market for our business mm -hmm. so that we can grow jobs and so that we can outcompete. So some of the uh, locations that we mentioned earlier in terms of those results, um, global corporations have moved um, products from much lower cost economies and brought them into expensive markets from a labor cost point of view, right. directly against the trend over the last 30 years, because the sheer quality of the workforce, the commitment of the workforce, the discretionary effort of the workforce meant that they could achieve competitive advantage, which overpowered the kind of normal cost factors that right. would make you manufacture, say, in China or Vietnam or wherever else. Okay. So, so when, when employees see that this is genuine, that this is not, they're not being manipulated, they suspect. I mean, I get okay. accused. I get accused in some of the early workshops. This is kind of <laughs> a humorous in a way. They say to me sometimes, you forced us to, to participate in that workforce. And I said, what do you mean? No. I said, well, well we, we decided in the canteen when we came in, we weren't going to say anything. And you made us talk. All right. <laughs> yeah. and, but the point is... Um, they had and, already decided previously we yeah, yeah. saying anything. That's, that's what I mean yeah, about yeah, negative yeah. assumptions. So, yeah, yeah. so sometimes people will come in determined not to say anything, but can't help themselves because of the way the process works. Mm -hmm. And this is why very good facilitation skills and the authenticity of the facilitators uh, is really, really important. Okay. Yeah. So, so authenticity is a key. Yeah. In, oh, in, yeah. In, yeah. And the fact that um, I had a relatively poor upbringing, that I, I started in a factory, uh, had three jobs at once before emigrating to the UK in 1974 in order to try and fund myself through university, right. um, means that when I talk to them about, you know, I kind of get what it's like. Right they know I do get what it's like, yeah. you know, and um, they, they know because I had to emigrate. Uh, I had to leave, I'm an only child and I had to leave my mother behind and that was a very sad day for her. Right. You know, right. and she constantly reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, she didn't actually, but she did occasionally. Yeah. But, um, but I really get the fact that families get broken up because, because children have to seek work abroad. That's right. Yeah, especially in Ireland, especially yeah. in, Parts of the UK, you know, like Scotland, Liverpool, etc. Yeah. Parts of Germany, parts of other countries. Yeah. You know, I get that. Um, and the interesting thing about the approach is when we've tested it in outside of where it was formed, like in places like South Africa, Singapore, etc. People still can can buy into the same kind of values. So one of the one of the worries I had was: is this culturally um, specific to Northwest Europe, and right. yeah, but what we found is that it isn't. It's yeah, not it, at all. No. Yeah, no. as long as as long as it's genuine, authentic, and you can reach. Um, that's that seems to be um, 
across the board. Yeah, a yeah, universal. Yeah. Yeah, a universal um, attractiveness to human beings to have more control over their environment, to to, to do good things, to achieve great things that yeah. they they often didn't think possible. I mean, for me, it's really emotional to see um, shop floor employees training new directors coming into a company right. about the company's culture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, to have guys who, maybe like one of the guys I was training today, left school at 14, and he's gonna train new employees at every level, you know, in Seagate, um, in what the culture of the plant me okay okay and the symbolism of that you know an operator training a director is yeah you know yeah and the message that sends out about you know uh, if you can if you work hard and you and you, you you got the right values and you you know um adopt this these kind of approaches there's no limit to what you can achieve as sure. a human being sure. other than the actual limits of the human being rather than artificial limits which yeah. stall people's development and that's good that's interesting it's not you know limited that, that that can be found even as you say on the factory floor it doesn't definitely doesn't have to be definitely. something that's always a corporate thing you know yeah. often. unfortunately society has gone in the opposite direction right uh, so what, what we're doing now is we we're putting more and more barriers in front of kids who may not have been able to go to college and we're saying you can't do this job you can't do that job unless you have a degree for example right for example, in the UK, the nursing profession now requires a degree. Right, right. Whereas, you know, why? You know, the, the key things for a nurse are compassion, empathy, and mastering the technical sides of the job. Yeah. But none of those are academic. They're practical things and things to do with values and, and um, uh, kindness towards patients and relatives and stuff like that, yeah. and the technical ability as well. to do the job yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. But they're not academic yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and that has well, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That has yeah. adverse effects because yeah. if you look at some of the, for example, some of the tragedies in the NHS, you know, like Midstaff's Hospital with heart monitors being switched off, uh, people dying of malnutrition and dehydration. Well, people are doing their paperwork. Well, nurses with the right kind of nurses with compassion, etc., don't switch off heart yeah. monitors. And the management who brought in a system that kind of allowed that to happen is not the right kind of leadership for this kind of approach. Right, right. Okay. You know, it's not, not just about doing the paperwork. You know. Yeah. No, I get that. Um... And employees can buy into that. They can see that this allows them to do good things if you like and achieve great things in a business sense outcompete their competitors yeah you know it, it does have that yeah um that factor as well right? people like being on winning teams yeah and, and even you know the americans talk about offense and defense so even if you sustain employment otherwise would have been lost for me the greatest achievement greatest thrill i get is seeing kids and uh, or, and individuals achieve things they thought a year ago they weren't possible to do and also driving past factories that otherwise might have shut so, right, yeah. so either either keeping the jobs or growing the jobs for me that keeps families together that keeps little shops open that keeps taxis firms going that community yeah all of that and if you can harness that passion and that and that a bit um willingness of people to help their neighbors out in the community in a business sense uh, 
as long as the fundamentals of your business are right, you know, if we were still making chariots, yeah. all this all this engagement would not make a good company yeah. because people <laughs> buy cars. Yeah. But as long as the fundamentals of your business are there, you can accelerate. That's the name of my company, Accelerating Improvement. Right. You can take whatever level of improvement as possible through the application of lean or whatever, and you can accelerate it yeah. through the pull factor and the engagement of the employee. That's actually quite interesting. I mean, this is going back, I guess, to where we were earlier. Um, and I had a, somebody came to me with a question today and it was, um, at what point then is um, uh, engagement, at what point does it become mass engagement? Right. The word mass, if, if you look at rapid mass engagement, let's break that down. So the, the rapid piece is about the momentum. So the one I'm doing, um, uh, coming up to do in Coca-Cola, mm. um, what we'll do is 22 workshops over a period of about uh, 14 working days. Yeah. Um, and the sheer pace of that sends a message to employees about we're serious here. Because yeah. employees' experience often is that they, they make a suggestion or they, or they go and try and get something improved. Mm. And they often don't hear, it goes into management, management's busy and you know, it could be months before they get any response. So that's what, that's what many employees experience of life. Sometimes when I ask them, what's the kind of time interval between suggesting something and getting, seeing something happen yeah. in, your, in your job? Yeah. And some of them say, infinite infinity yeah it never gets back yeah that's usually an exaggeration by the way but that's how they feel yeah um, yeah. um whereas here the people in in the last employee workshop before we go to the event that makes the decisions it could be that you you provide your data and your input on wednesday and by friday you're having communicated back to you a jointly owned change plan running on your agenda that you decided as employees and and agreed by the people you elected to go and work with the senior team mm -hmm. all in the one kind of week yeah. you know and and so that's the rapid bit the mass bit is everybody in the system you're trying to optimize so you don't cut you don't uh, take a selection of people right it's every single person okay yeah so nobody can say afterwards that's not mine. It's every, everyone at every, every level, basically. Everybody's yeah. fingerprints yeah. are all over it. Yeah. So again, today we were looking at some um, quotes from some of these workshops a year ago. Yeah. And uh, and and people were recognizing the actual comments that they made themselves. Uh -huh. So so if people can see their own their own fingerprints all over it, I said that, and yeah look what's happened where it's gone yeah. so i spoke yeah. 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 and this this has been addressed and it's it wasn't like um just involvement it wasn't that we spoke and management took it away and management designed it and management agreed it. it's we we spoke we made actual decisions through this process mm -hmm. i mean that's a there's a whole technical side of that about how you make sure that um, the actual output does drive the competitiveness of the business. There's a, there's a scientific technical side of that. Right. But nevertheless, the employees effectively make decisions with their senior managers by consensus, okay. which then drives improvements in the, in the business. That's essentially how it works. So that's why it's mass. 
So everybody in the system, what I mean by the system is you could have a location like Rolls-Royce in Derby where you have different organizational units. So you might have, you might have civil aerospace and you might have, if you like, military aerospace, okay. you might have marine, you might have all on the same physical location. That's not a system. Mm -hmm. That's just different businesses who happen to be cohabiting in the same space. Right, right. So, so when I say system, it's the, it's the um, interrelated um, process of creating value from inputs to outputs. You know, if you imagine it as a factory, this is what comes in, this is what we do to it, and that was what goes out. Right, yeah. Or if it was a, if yeah. it was a service kind of environment, exactly the same. Yeah. There are inputs, you add value, and you produce outputs. That that integrated system is what I mean by a system. Okay. But it's local. It, so because we, the idea is to reach people and things that really matter to them, mm -hmm. it has to be local. It's not something you can do across lots of sites. It's not something you can do top down because the language, the history, the culture, the traditions, the, the stories people tell in their local communities about what happened, their experience in that particular system and that factory are part of what's used to create something authentic for the people who work there. Okay. Wow. So that's that's why it's maths. <laughs> that's where that yeah. answers that question yeah. very well. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not relevant to a, a Catholic form of worship. It means, <laughs> it means everybody everybody is is no. engaged, not just some. That, neither does the cathedral model, by the way. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. By the way, it even affects the people who are not engaged. And let me let me tell you something called the bow wave effect. Okay. The bow wave effect, if you, if you imagine, uh, and I didn't know this happened until we did it. I've know, heard of the bow wave effect. Yeah, but, but in terms of engagement, yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you imagine, if you imagine you throw a, a stone into a lake, the stone lands, but the, but the wave goes out ahead of where the stone, and eventually washes off on the opposite shore. Yeah. Now in terms of this, there's a very strict scientific a divide between the initial workshops which are essentially diagnostic right so no problem solving at this stage because you've got groups of employees in separate um cross-functional uh, uh, groupings in these workshops um so first time i really i've noticed it a lot of times but the most powerful one was in boston scientific in galway in 2015 okay and there were 72 workshops there. We're talking about 3,200 people. Now 4,200, I think, since then. Right. But, um, but at the time, um, and myself and my co-facilitator were, um, were sitting in a break between workshops. Uh, we're sitting in the canteen, and the canteen manager came to me and said, Frank, my staff have uh, asked for a meeting with me earlier, and they want me to tell you something. So my heart thinks, oh God, because I don't know, when a woman says that to a man, you often think, I must have done something wrong here. I must have said something wrong, you know, with all this political correctness stuff and everything. So I immediately uh, catastrophize that I've done something wrong. So she sits down and tells me that what the staff, and don't forget the canteen staff as contractors were not involved. Okay. They're just providing a service to the site. Right. Okay? Right. And she says, what they said to me is, and, and don't forget, we've only, we've only, we'd only done about 12 or 14 workshops out of 72. Right. So we're only at the diagnostic stage. We haven't created the culture yet. We haven't done the leadership training to sustain the culture very early on. 
So we're only literally diagnosing with the workforce what the issues are and what the new culture needs to look like, uh-huh. but we haven't created it yet. Uh-huh. And she says, they don't know what you're doing with people in those workshops, but whatever you're doing in those workshops, will you please keep doing it? Because people, as they come through the canteen, are treating us in a much nicer way. Really? Yeah. So no way. Yeah. yeah. The bow wave effect means that the very process of diagnosing and talk about talking about these issues yeah. sensitizes people, creates self-awareness, creates uh, people, causes people to think about what we're trying to achieve here, yeah. and and starts to change behaviour before the parts of the architecture that are there to change behavior have even been implemented yet. Yeah, yeah. And, and that same effect happened in Seagate and I've seen it in other way, in other places right. as well. Right. Um, so now I actually look at the canteen staff as a really good uh, leading indicator. <laughs> how things are going. Yeah, of how things are going. Yeah. <laughs> Your initial measurements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's other funny ones as well, yeah. like how much chewing gum people throw in your rhinos. <laughs> really? And I know that sounds really stupid, but if you're really, really respectful of people, you don't throw chewing gum into your rhino. Right. Because people have to go and put their hands in there and pull it out. And if, if, you, if, you, if you treat every human being with dignity and respect and you're thinking about that, you don't drop. Uh, so that. I talk to the people. Jeez, that's cleaners. just changed. That's yeah. changes everything. <laughs> yeah, I ask the cleaners. You know, have you noticed anything? Is there anything? You know, and and that's one. They often say to me, "Yeah, the toilets are left in a better condition." Now I know that. Yeah. Th- that's not something I would have thought of academically. Yeah. It's it's something you discover. You discover along, yeah, along when you implementing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I know it's probably not a nice, if anyone's listened to this over breakfast, it's probably, <laughs> probably not the nicest topic, but it just shows you that you get indicators from peculiar places. Yeah. You just got to look and listen and and, uh, and it's about treating people with respect. No, that's fascinating. That's just fascinating. to share something with you. My mother, I was an only child, my mother was a single parent and um, uh, the first time we emigrated was when I was a small child right. from Belfast because um, um, there was an IRA border campaign in the late 50s yeah. and we were the wrong religion at that particular point so my mum and I had to get out of Belfast very quickly right. uh, under threat right so we ended up in in, uh, in uh, relatively run down Salford in in, uh, okay. yep. in near right. Manchester, near yep. Old Trafford, was very, very poor in the fifth, late 50s, right. very poor air quality and everything else. And But anyway, because my mum was a single mother, um, she used to work through a lunch, etc. She worked for Johnson Johnson as a sales lady. Right. And, but she used to meet me from school. And in those days, in the late 50s, uh, shops used to shut at five o'clock. There was none of this late night opening or anything. So it was a bit of a rush. Picked me up from school and she needed to get anything you have to grab hold of me and get into the shops before they shut. So as I was, um, as we were leaving, I I noticed the cleaners would come in and I just referred to the the word clean, cleaner about this lady. Yeah. I was like, I was six years old, right? And she said to me, darling, she said, "Um, that lady's not a cleaner. That lady is a lady uh, who's doing a cleaning job at the moment, right. Right? right? Yeah, and she's probably doing that because she has kids like like you and me, I got work to look after you. So see her as a 
a lady doing a cleaning job at the moment. And that the values behind what my mother told me in the late 50s in Salford, um, before we went back to Ireland again, yeah. um, is, is what has inspired me to do this kind of work. Okay. And people, people get that. People know when you're real about this. They, they, so the initial employee workshops, the employees, they're not, they're not stupid. You know, if, if, there's, if someone's trying to con them, or manipulate them, they'll spot it. Really, yeah. 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 So, so that's what I mean by the, there's a set of values underneath this yeah. that people can really, really buy into. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that authenticity and it comes yeah, exactly. again. You know, exactly. I can see yeah. why why yeah. that would be. Which is why it's actually hard to actually recruit people to do this. Um, you um, mean implement? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and. Um, I have I have had some versions of this because the the radical the most radical version is the one that I've mentioned so far, which rapid mass engagement process, which creates the biggest results. But but um, there are other kind of um, more less radical approaches to this kind of thing, and, and and the prediction the scientific prediction is that if you're less radical and you're not prepared to take the risks and, and to expose yourself as leaders and be humble about this, then you won't get the same results. Nevertheless, there are versions of this which produce still good results, yeah. but clearly not as strong as the rapid mass engagement process right, that we're right. talking about. Sure. Well, that wraps up our first episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again with more episodes soon, and we'll be joined by Frank again on the topic of employee recognition. So thanks again, and goodbye. Thank you.